Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Angle on Producers, the show where I shine a light on producers from all corners of the entertainment industry to understand who they are and why they do what they do. As always, I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. It's truly remarkable, you guys tuning in week after week doing this life thing with me. It doesn't happen without you. This is a labor of love that I do on the side because I am passionate about getting our stories out there and sharing them with you, my dear listener. So thank you for tuning in. This week, I am delighted to share my chat with Julie Lynn and Bonnie Curtis, two gems of a human. They are the producing duo behind Mockingbird Pictures, a film and television company. Their projects cover a wide variety of genres with movie budgets that range from under $1 million to over $100 million. Julie worked as a First Amendment lawyer before embarking on a film career as a creative executive for producer Mark Johnson. She formed the company in 1999. And then, in 2012, Bonnie Curtis joined after more than 15 years of working with Steven Spielberg. In fact, it was the Academy Award-nominated film Albert Knobs in 2012 that brought them together, and since then, they have produced for brand new filmmakers as well as experienced award-winning directors. It's inspiring to know that partnerships like this exist, that it's possible. Friends who love each other, who love the work, who have grown together in this business, and you can tell from this conversation that their love runs deep, truly beyond the work. I mean, their families frequently vacation together. They just can't get enough of each other. They are two halves of a whole. And it was such a treat to spend this time with them, basking in a little bit of their wisdom and, of course, all of Bonnie's incredible stories about, you know, Spielberg. So this week, Bonnie and Julie shine a light on creating a producer's group, putting trust in your filmmakers, and how their unique partnership functions. So without further ado, let's tune in and hear from Bonnie and Julie. I want to first take it back to uh, just a quick overview of your humble beginnings and really then when you guys intersect in your in your timeline to start working together um, to take us to where we are today. Well, Mocking, Mockingbird already existed mm-hmm. when I found Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, when I graduated from college, I came out to LA. My brother was going to art school out here, so it worked out really well. I slept on his couch. I got a PA job at Disney and um, worked there a year and a half. And then just through, you know, I always tell young people, just take the first job. Don't overthink it. Just get your foot in the door somewhere. It doesn't matter because what will start to happen is that's when you'll start to meet people and network and go to screenings and go to events. And you really start to meet the people that you're going to click with. And I had met a woman, I had worked alongside her for several months who had been Steven Spielberg's assistant on and off for gosh, like eight years. Mm. And uh, she'd never been in what we call the hot seat. She'd been his second assistant, but he had contacted her saying, I really need to find a new first assistant. Do you have any ideas? And she called me. Would you be interested in, in interviewing with Steven Spielberg for an assistant job? And I said, no because I had just gotten a promotion at Disney and I loved my boss. I loved Mm -hmm. him. Sam Mercer, lovely man. You'll never hear a bad word said about him. And, uh, and the, the guy I was working with, um, in my office, my, my dear friend, Jim Limley came walking in and he's like, what was that? What did I just overhear? And I'm like, oh, that, you know, Steven Spielberg's interviewing for an assistant and they want to wonder if I wanted to meet, but Sam just promoted me and I don't want to do that to Sam. And he was like, Bonnie, are you <laughs> insane? He's like, Sam would tell you to go take that meeting. Like yeah. that is, that just fell in your lap. You don't like, go, and this is, this is great advice. Just go meet him. Like, it doesn't mean you're taking the job. It doesn't mean you're quitting. Like you've already run through eight steps that haven't even happened. Yet. Julie and I tell each other this all the time. And, and it's like, well, we should, Julie actually says this because I'll go into theory and Julie will be like, why don't we just make the phone call and see? Like, right. we don't even know. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what they're going to say to us. Oh, right, right, right. Reality. We're not <laughs> in a movie. So anyway, I went and met uh, Kathleen Kennedy. 
mm-hmm. um, who I adore and uh, loved her. And we chatted about everything. And I came back to the office and I think I lied and said I was at a dentist appointment and they called and offered me the job. Wow. And, uh, and I said, well, don't I get to meet Steven? Now keep in mind, I'm 23 years old at the time. My hair is like this big. I'm a Texan. You know, I'm just like the accent is thick. I'm <laughs> ignorant as ignorance is bliss. My mindset at that point was I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to do what Jim said. It is good advice. I'm going to go meet these people and I'm going to just see. Just take the meeting. Yeah. And there had been two other jobs on the lot that I had wanted and I'd gone and Sam knew about, Sam knew about these job interviews and I didn't get the jobs. And I was convinced that Sam had called them and told them, I really still need her. Please don't give the job. One was Mm. with Liz Sayer. One was with Liz Sayer, Julie. Mm-hmm. And I've told Sam and I've talked about all this, but I, and so I think I was in a mindset where I was like, if this is something I want to do, I probably shouldn't talk to Sam about it. <laughs> so I went and met uh, Kathy and then I, and then they offered me the job. I say, wait a minute. I, aren't I going to meet Steven? Well, we really don't do things like that around here. I'm like, okay, I love you. Great. All power to you, but I'm not going to work for a man I've never met. I don't know if I would say that today, by the way. I don't know. What do you think gave you the gumption to say that back then? Was it? Well, my mother, for lack of a better way to say it, I'd been raised on the phrase that you should never engage in a real way with somebody that you haven't met first. Mm -hmm. You never know who they're going to remind you of. And it wouldn't be their fault. I mean, I think you would still say that today. You would still say that today. No, but I mean, there's a, there is a certain uh, boldness in that. Uh, I think if I got an opportunity to work in some environment, I don't know if, I think I would base my decision sometime on reputation. I don't think I would necessarily have to chemically be in the same room with someone, but boy, Mm. I felt that way back then. Mm. And and I, so I just, it just came out of me. And I, and I said, I, the reason I know it came from my upbringing is because I literally quoted my mother back to them and said, what if I remind him of some girl that broke his heart in high school, direct quote from my mother, or what if I don't like the way he smells, direct quote from my mother, the pheromone thing. <laughs> so it's all wrapped up in your upbringing. So I, uh, so they were like, well, give us a second. We'll call you right back. So blah, blah. You know, they call me back. Okay, can you meet him? And they're in a whole whole covert operation on covert operation on their side too, because there's still assist, an assistant in the chair. So right. I got to go meet Stephen on the back lot at Warner <laughs> Brothers in this in this trailer on the set of Arachnophobia. Oh he and God. I are meeting for our secret date in this trailer. <laughs> so it was. I loved him from moment one. What what if he had smelled bad? Would you have said, you know what, Stephen, I'm I'm all right, or would you have like just worked your way through it? Would you have just hinted at different deodorant types for him? Thank God he does not smell bad. Famously so. <laughs> so I um, so. so I I uh, I loved meeting him. It was it was just just a lovely guy. So decent and respectful and kind and a good listener. And I just, I really enjoyed chatting with him and, and making jokes with him. And, uh, and so he, um, and professing your love for Capshaw. Well, that is actually why I got the job. Thank you. This is why it's good to have Julie around because she remembers all my stories. Um, I I was, I was not an, I was not an out gay woman at the time. In fact, I didn't even know I was gay at the time. Mm. I didn't figure it out till I was like 25. But good Lord, did I love Kate Capshaw. I loved her. <laughs> I had seen all her movies. Windy City, like this independent film she did, Space Camp that I like cried. So I'm doing all these quotes for Steven in this interview from Kate Capshaw movies. And he's like, oh my God, you are a huge fan. And I'm like, no, I, this is serious. Like, I'm actually more excited to meet you because you're with Kate Capshaw than I am to meet you. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, I, I had him at hello, I think. So he think hired so. me. He hired <laughs> me and I started the gig. I, I went and talked to Sam. He's called me Benedict Arnold to this day. Lovingly so. 
And, uh, and I started working for Steven a couple weeks later and, um, and that was, you know, and I say this in a, in a positive way, it was baptism by fire because it was literally like 24 years old thrown into just this uber experienced, brilliant machine of filmmaking. And you maybe know this much. You know, and, and you're just like, you don't even know, like it happens to me in hindsight, Julie and I will be encountering something on a film and I'll have this flash of a memory of something I went through that I observed. I didn't go through, I observed it on, you know, Saving Private Ryan or something. And I, and I, I know what people did. Mm. So I'm like, oh, well this, we did that, that, that. And we'll be like, well, that might work. Let's try it. Yeah. You know, so it, it was like a, a real uh, tangible film school. I want to contradict something you said, because I do think the where is important. I don't think what the job, I agree with Bonnie that I don't think what the job you take is important as your first I agree with what job. she's, I agree with what she's the about where to say. where is really important. And I tell a lot of new people who come for informational interviews or whatever, like it, it doesn't matter if you're getting coffee, just get the coffee as the best coffee getter has ever gotten coffee in the history of coffee getting because that's where it is. And you will work your way up. If you're at a good place, you'll work your way up because they'll start to trust you. You know, we've hired a lot of people from internships, right? Or gotten them from our internships to other great jobs elsewhere. Like they're scattered throughout the city now, right? But I do think the where is important because I think it's hard to go from a crappy place to a great place, but it's Mm. much easier to go from a great place to another great place. So I do think the where is important. The other thing I will tell you, because Bonnie you know, went from being Steven's assistant to then when Kathy and Frank left, she really moved in and became Steven's producer for the second half of her time with him. Um, but she tells a great assistant story that I'd, I'd love to make her tell. Sorry, Bonnie, <laughs> because <I think laughs> it shows um, a certain uh, tenacity that I think. I, I, is this a script cover? It is. It is the script cover story, because I, I, I also think for people that are starting out, there's, um, we, we see two strains of people that come through the doors, right? And we, we hire a lot of people because even though it's just Bonnie and me and, and Lindsay, our assistant, when we're small, we get up and we have hundreds of people that work for us on a movie every time. And then it collapses back down and then it's hundreds of people again, right? And we've even, um, you know, we'll have, we've excused, not often, it's very rare for us to, to excuse someone or fire somebody. But we will if they don't, if they aren't showing up for the rest of the team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or of course, if they do something inappropriate. I did once fire somebody for sexual harassment. That's a longer story. Well, that is um, understandable. There's a much broader scope of people that we wouldn't hire again if they didn't, if they don't show a certain tenacity. And I think, I think we see a stream of people who come in who feel very entitled. Like, what can you do for me in this job? Mm. Another stream of people that come in and they're like, how can I contribute? to what this team is doing as a group. And those are two very distinct segments of people that we see coming through our doors now. It's really interesting. Um, and I, Bonnie is always about the movie. So Bonnie, with that intro, you've got to tell the script page story. Well, and I was raised to, to be all about the movie, which really worked in the way my psyche worked because, you know, I'd been raised in religion, you know, and it's, there's always this sort of higher power you know, situation going on. So mm-hmm. the concept of no, not what's best for that actor. No, not what's best for that, you know, that director even, or that scene, what's best for the movie as a whole, sort of that holistic. And no one at the end of the day, no one can deny that those are the decisions you're making. So, right. Unless they're jerks and then you fire them. I'm kidding. But, um, <laughs> but the story Julie's wanting me to tell you is we were, we were making the movie hook. And uh, I had been working for Stephen uh, probably about a year and a half. The first year I worked for, for him, we didn't we didn't work on a movie. So I had heard going into it that it was that it was all about his script. Like Stephen would make scribbles in his script. This is pre any of us having any digital life. He would make scribbles in his script. He would constantly leave his script sitting in the most random places. Because he's inside his head thinking about the shot and he would walk away. And as his assistant on set, and and they said to me, this is going to sound crazy, but one of your most important jobs is 
making sure you know where his script is. I'm like, making sure I know where his script is. Like how, you know, and we'd had a couple of situations where he would accidentally leave it on set and we'd have to get the stage unlocked to go get the script and get it back to him because he needed to prep for the next day and his notes were in his script. So I started to grasp, I get it. He, mm. he accidentally leaves it. He need, it needs to be in his hands when he gets in his car at night. So I got to know the script very well. I got to know the scribbles. I got to know his notes. I began to run around and tell people, you know, things he had scribbled. And it, it was sort of, I became his internet, I guess, in a way, and mm. made sure, you know, that everybody knew. So one night comes, the script cover has just gotten trashed. I mean, he has spilled tea on it. It's got, you know, stains. It's torn. It's barely hanging on by a thread. So I replace, I put a pristine, beautiful script cover on his script, and I throw away the old one. Cut to, and, I, you know, I send him home, and it's been a great day of shooting, da 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 da, da. So it about... 2 a.m. my phone rings and my answer machine picks up back in the day and and I wake up you know and I hear his voice and he's like Bonnie uh it's Steven um I know that everything's okay I just want to say I know everything's okay but you replaced my script cover and I'm kind of superstitious about stuff like this and I it would be awesome if tomorrow morning right when I show up you replace the script cover I know you wouldn't have thrown it away I know you better than that you know so it's totally you know I'm, I'm not I'm gonna sleep fine don't worry about me I'm good which honestly I think was a big give on his part because I think in earlier days he would have been like get into the house now but he mm. was just like I'm it's all good I'm good and I'm like oh no I threw that thing away what am I gonna do so, I mean, there was only one choice and it was to go back to the movie lot, dig through the trash and try to find the script cover. It never crossed my mind that I wouldn't do that. And so <laughs> I got on my clothes, I drove up to the lot and I knew most of the guards anyway, but they, they let me on and we get to the trailer and we, we find the hidden key and we get in the trailer and the trash has been taken away and I'm just like oh and so the guy says well I can take you to where the trash is and they don't pick it up until 5 a.m so you've got and I think at this point it was like three in the morning and he's like oh so you've God. got some time <laughs> so he walks me and I wish I I say to everyone I wish so much I had had a camp a phone you know an iPhone then because I would have taken a picture of what I was about to do and it was just this line of like 20 dumpsters along a soundstage. And, uh, and I just hopped in. And I remember, I thought, you know, I talked to him about where they pick them up and the order they go in. Like, I tried to be logical about it, but I, I knew I had two hours to go through 20 dumpsters. And I started digging and I moved the trash bags around and I, cracked a few open if I saw Dr. Pepper can because that's my trash and I'm just <laughs> like go 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 and I used to know how many dumpsters I went through it was only a few like I got very lucky and um and I came across this bag and I saw uh, a couple of things including Dr. I'm like oh my god that's the bag and I open I rip it open and I find that script cover and it's oh even worse god. now because more stuff has spilled on it. It's wadded up. I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. And I have this image in my head of like, I wish someone had had a camera again at the end of the dumpsters because I literally leap up, like, <laughs> you know, like leap into frame, like, ah! By yourself. A, a, by myself, a party. Here's our intern hearing this story for the first time. And is oh like, my God. Oh my God. But, that, but that's how it should roll, right? That's, that's, that's how it should roll. So I met him. And, and here's what I, I, I covered myself. Like if I had been a healthier human and that took years, but if I'd been a healthier human, I would have said to him when he pulled up that morning, you are never going to believe what I've been through to get this for you. I would have told him the story, but I didn't. 
what I did is I put it on his script cover. I was like, of course I didn't throw it away. <laughs> put it on his script. The day go, I knew you wouldn't. And I have, and the only reason I'm telling you that part is I did tell him the truth. Like a few years later, we were at dinner one night and I was like, I have to tell you this story. And, and I, he, what do you he, say? He, he loved it. He told me that's why I'm a good producer. So okay, I, and you know what's the world of story, right? That's that's it. But you know what it is too. It's like I think interns, people who get into the business, they think that it's like then you were an assistant or you were an intern. It's just a title. It doesn't matter, right? Then eventually you become a producer. But the work ethic, like the integrity that you bring to the work, to your life, how you live your life, and that you bring to every task that you do, whether it's getting coffee or getting financing and everything in between. It, it should never change, you know, and I try to tell people coming up like like you guys have said this beautifully, just do the thing well with a good attitude and with integrity, people will notice it's it's really that simple. It's not hard. And, and so much of what we do can be learned, but it can't be taught. You know, you have to like, just be the kind of person like after doing so many of these of these interviews, I've, I've, I've learned that there is a we share a patchwork of DNA. And I don't care where you've come from, how your journey has unfolded. There's always this commonality between the people that that I have figured out. It's it is this ultimate sense of pride in who you are and what you do and the way you're going to show up, no matter what the task is. And those are the people that get pulled up. Those are the people that have luck and get that one job that is a turning point in their career and, and jump. And, you know, then we spend a conversation like now looking back and unpacking how you got to this moment. But like you said, I would venture to say that how you handle that situation then and how you handle problems today, it's not very different. You know, maybe you wouldn't jump into the dumpster today, but you would. would, Oh, I I would be the, I would be the first in. I would dare people to go in. That's what's crazy is that's the fun to me. That's the fun part. That's, To, to have the good story at the end of the day. But Julie Lynn, let's talk about your journey. No, but I mean, yeah. Bonnie's trajectory is more interesting. I mean, it, I, I love it so much and I never get tired of hearing her stories because I think in the end, they're all about trust. You know, yeah. all the stories are about trust. And, you know, I, I think about our assistant, Lindsay, and the reason she's so great is that I trust her to do things that I wouldn't necessarily trust some senior executives we've met other places to do because the whole point of being part of a team is that you could walk away, something could happen and you'd have to walk away. You had an emergency or you got sick or it, and, and the team could go forward and finish, finish the game without you. Right. I think it's all about trust. And if you can, and if you can't be trusted to do the small things, then why would I trust you to do the big things? But if you can be trusted to do the small things, I'm super fast going to give you big things. It's also why um, when we're interviewing um, assistants, I always look at their writing samples very, very carefully because my assumption is going to be that we're going to want to trust that person to do some pretty advanced work. And so even though the, the first things they do as an assistant might not involve writing a letter or reaching out to someone on their own or writing notes or whatever it may be. I want them to be able to grow into my saying to them, oh yeah, you can deal with that person. You can write that letter. You can have that relationship. You can go represent us in that way. Yeah. Um, but I don't, but I only hire them if I see them having the capacity to grow in. It's why when people ask me what should I study in college, I say, uh, learn how to write. Learn how to write. I, I do the same thing, Julie. I'm like, you know, people are like, there's not a film school at my university. I'm like, well, there wasn't one at mine either. It, major in English or journalism, you know, just be able to or write. psychology if you really want to take psychology. it. <laughs> but, um, it there is, a, there is no, even though we are in 2021, it is important to know how to write, whether you're writing a letter or an email, texting is a whole nother thing. We don't have to touch on that, but there is still craft in how you articulate your thoughts and how you represent them to people outside your organization. Yeah. 
whatever the yeah. format may be, or for us, whatever the platform may be, right? Because now we're platform agnostic. It's a very good point. Um, I do want to, just because I'm mindful of time, I want to get to the part where you're, you guys meet, you're meet cute, because you're clearly like cannot be separated, you know, you're like joined at the hip, clearly, em- emotionally, energetically, you guys are close friends, you vacation together, you work together. And s- you know, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. And, and I, it makes me a little like jealous, honestly, because, you know, we all long to find partners in our lives, romantic partners, work partners, our work wives, work husbands, whatever. And what we do, you guys know this, it's, it's so, oh, God, it's all consuming, you know, you're plugged into the matrix, it's like, you can't really unplug. And so to be on that journey with people that get that struggle and get the challenges from a deeper place than, others who may want to support, but don't really understand why, you know, having to dig through a trash can or a trash bin to find something for, for an artist is like do or die in that moment, right? And I think that's so important. And a lot of the advice I've been given on by other women on how, how do you find longevity in this business? And all of them say, you have to have a partner. Yeah, it has to be the right partner, though. And it's got to be the right partner. Exactly. So I want to know the meet cute for y'all and then what it is about you both that seems to work so well in a partnership that here you are so many years later crushing it. I'm just minding my own business, doing my thing. I've been making movies for a long time, mostly small movies that you can hold in the palm of your hand, but, but, but beautiful and I'm proud of them. And I get a call one day from Bonnie Curtis. Like, why is Steven Spielberg's producer calling me? But okay. And I always call everybody back. So I'm like, I'm calling her back. And uh, she was calling, Bonnie, you tell this part because you tell about Michelle Benitez. You tell this part and then I'll chime in later. Well, I had just had lunch um, with a, a AD a, a, that Julie and I both worked with, a woman named Michelle Benitez. And um, we were just, we're friends. We were just having lunch together. And I was expressing to her that I was really wanting to get into the world of making these smaller, more character driven films, the films that I had grown up loving and wanting to make. And here I had just by circumstance, although gratefully and wonderfully so, fallen into this world of huge tentpole movies about mm dinosaurs and world war ii and as much as i love love Stephen, and i do to this day i really wanted to get my hands on different kinds of movies and she got it and she was like i have someone you should meet she's done um uh you know these smaller movies and i think michelle's the one that gave me the quote this woman's basically been making movies out of her kitchen (laughs) and um and I knew Julie's movies. I, I loved, um, Julie had done a movie called Nine Lives that I literally was like, was my favorite movie of the last year. So it was like that, that's exactly like, and, and I don't know if you've seen Nine Lives, but it's also, it's a very experimental film. So they had all these huge actors, but they were trying this really brave experiment and you should go look it up and, and watch it. But I, um, I was like, I'm game. What's her number? So Michelle texted me her number and I called Julie that afternoon. Okay, there you go, Julie. So we met at Le Pan Quotidien. We know the table. I walked by it yesterday and I'm so sad because it's all boarded up because it's the place where the, where the romance, the work romance started. And Mm. we just, we met and talked and we found out that we liked a lot of the same material and we really vibed. And uh, apparently... (laughs) I offered to share a, a low budget budget with Bonnie and dropped it off at her house on my way out of town. I didn't remember it till a long time later when she showed it to me with my scrawl on top of it. But apparently Doug, my husband and I had dropped it off. And, um, and that was kind of it. We, we, we weren't like in close touch. We just had really enjoyed it. And then Rodrigo Garcia, who's a producer, who's a director, I've made a lot of movies with. In fact, we're getting ready. That's the Virginia movie we're about to make is with him. He called me one day and he said, look, he said, Glenn Close, who we had both worked with before, has asked me to direct this movie that is her longtime passion project. It already has a producer. And I'm like, it's okay. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. I'm like, who is it? And he said, it's Bonnie Curtis. And I said, oh, well, that's, you're in great hands. You're going to have a great time. Please don't fall in love with her more than you love me. But yeah, have a great time. Call me if you need me. 
And this really was Glenn's passion project. Like she had handed it to Bonnie saying, this is the movie I need to make before I die. Right. Yeah. And so over a couple of years, you know, they would call me, they would be going out to an actor that I would know or something. And I would make a phone call and um, it, it just hadn't quite clicked. You know, so it can take a long time to get a movie made. Yeah. And one day Rodrigo calls me and says, Bonnie and Glenn are going to call you and ask you to produce the movie with them. Say yes. So it was actually Bonnie called me and I said, yes, but I think it was just, they hadn't fully walked through that financing it from scratch, mm. which is a very scrappy process. Yeah. Uh, and so different than studio filmmaking. Very, very like, different. Just a foreign, yeah, literally a foreign language. language. So yeah. we made that movie and we sort of, you know, we got one domino and then another domino and we could do fill a whole hour with stories on how we got Albert Nods. Let me tell you, it could I be. I mean, I wish hour. we had a six hour series. But now we, we don't, but. So much. <laughs> but uh, we suffice it to say, we got the movie made and Bonnie and I realized not far into it, that kind of were the primary work relationship, <laughs> like all of our directors aside, like it's us. And we both know the exact moment we were walking from our little cold three banger with no electricity back to the set. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I was like, you want to read something else? And she's like, yeah. And that's it. We haven't made a movie. We have a saying in our partnership, which is without you dead. Um, and I, I think I would have to, I would have to find something else to do at this point. I mean, I was on my own for so long. You have partners on different movies, but it's not the same. Yeah. 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 Um, that I've made Bonnie talk to me about how, when we're done making movies, like what's the nonprofit thing that we're going to figure out to solve yes. together. Yes, yes, yes. Because <laughs> The, the joy, it's not just without you dead, but it, it decreases the stress, but it also raises the joy by so much. There's another great story, which I, if you have two minutes, I can tell you, which is of course. when yeah. Bonnie and I were trying to get our second movie made, <laughs> we're, we have a trip to go to New York, right? And because we're trying to raise money in New York, because New York is full of people with a lot of money. I don't actually think we raised any money on that trip, but maybe we got... <laughs> To somebody who got us, to somebody who got us, to somebody. We got, yep. Right? right? We got yeah. to somebody who got us to somebody. So uh, we're getting ready to make the trip. And I'm like, so we're going to stay in my friends. David and Sarah have a spare apartment in New York. We're going to stay there. There may be somebody in the bedroom. So you and I may have to share a bedroom. And Bonnie said, oh, I, I got to ask Kim. And I'm like, what? And she's like, Julie, I have to ask Kim before I share a bed with another woman. I'm a lesbian. And I was like. <laughs> And okay. it wasn't, it wasn't ask. It was tell. Tell. It was tell. Sorry. Yeah. Tell. yeah. Okay. So she said, I knew she'd be fine, but I couldn't do it and not. And it's fine. She said to tell you this and this, which I won't say in a recording. And, um, and I was like, well, then I'm going to ask Doug. <laughs> so I go to my you husband. You get to tell your spouse. I get to tell mine. Right. So I'm like, honey, I might be sharing a, a bed with, with Bonnie the lesbian. <laughs> Doug says, because Doug understands how deeply my life has changed since Bonnie's come, right? Like I don't get, I don't get as scared. Like if I'm going to talk to a mean agent, because then she's just going to be, oh, he's in blah, blah, blah. And I'm having so much more fun and life is just so good. And he just looks me right in the eye and he says, honey, whatever you need to do to keep Bonnie happy, you just do that. <laughs> and that was the end of it. And we went to New York. And ended up not sharing a bedroom. And ended way. up not sharing a bed. But Doug was down with whatever happened in bed. Yeah. Yeah. He was still going to be my uh, my producing partner. You were saying uh, Bonnie's you know origin story is more more interesting than yours, but I I, I disagree politely. I think that you ha you guys are two pieces of a whole, and without your experiences and your perspectives to come together, maybe you wouldn't have been the right partnership, right? So everything led you to that moment where you could have shown up for her as what she needed as well for you guys to create this beautiful partnership. So, so don't underplay your, your value in this beautiful partnership. I feel like I'm your therapist, but, but no, I want to say because you, you started in law and then you found filmmaking, you found producing, and then you went about it, the harder of the paths, which is to do it by yourself, to do it on the indie way, which I can't even imagine how much harder it was when you started before digital was really like, had blown up, you know, so 
it's tremendous. And I hope you recognize that, that, that you withered a really tumultuous time of transition in the industry for independent filmmaking to withstand the test of time to then get to a place where you could find a partner who brought a completely different perspective into the work. But so you must have, I'm curious how before Bonnie entered your life, you weathered that time because as someone, and I ask this because as someone who has been an independent film producer my whole life, who've come, you know, I came up in the production side of things. I, I didn't know anyone. I've had to, I had to learn everything I've done, every single credit I've earned. I've had to like work my ass off for it. Nothing's been handed to me. And as a freelancer, what it has often resulted in is it your self-worth then starts to become attached to the work. And I have had a long undoing of that so that I don't go through depression and ups and downs. And especially when you don't have someone to share that with, right? You don't go, oh my gosh, is this normal? Does anyone else feel this? Like, am I crazy? Why am I doing this? You know, these existential mini crises, which I have still very regularly. And I, I think that part of the process of the journey is very important because everyone I talk to has that, no matter how successful they, they are, what they've achieved. And weathering that, you know, understanding how to navigate those ups and downs for me is like, what I'm like addicted to like knowing how people find their way through, you know, not that you ever get to one side and it's just like paradise. It's just easy. The doors of Hollywood just, you know, open sesame for you. Still always challenging, but, but I guess my very long winded way to ask, you know, now you must have have different tools for it. I would imagine. But back then, you know, what, how did you keep, keep going? What kept you going to get to that stage? Uh, I think I'm an optimist. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I mean, I can, I can speak to you in terms of, uh, let me say a couple things about that. It's such a great question. And I have been there. I have been um, in that it, it was scrappy and it was hard. And it almost felt like I forced, willed those movies into existence in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and I can, I can say a couple things to maybe help, help. I mean, you're a little maybe past that now, but help the folks who are you know, coming up behind, I would say one is um, if you don't have a producer's group, make a producer's group. I didn't have mine till much later. I think, I think uh, a little bit before Bonnie and I met, maybe I'd have to go back and look and see how long it's been, but I have a wonderful producer's group and Bonnie's now a part of it because for a long time they were like, ask Bonnie or Bonnie would be like, ask your producer's group. And finally they're all like, can Bonnie just be in the, produ- can we just grandfather her in the producer's group? Yeah. But we are a group of about 20 producers, all of whom we trust each other completely. And we are vulnerable with each other and we are there for each other. There is no schadenfreude. It is completely supportive. And we have a listserv and we try to get together when we can get together and have lunch or have a retreat, but we are constantly there for each other. Guys, I need to get to this actor who knows the agent or who knows who runs their production company or guys, my craft service person just quit. I need a new person right away. Or guys, I'm in a legal quandary. I don't understand how to make this deal work. We're just completely there for each other. I I really recommend making a community like that. Even if you don't have a producing partner, I think that's incredibly helpful. And the other thing I would say is when you're starting out, I kept my nut really small. You know, Mm -hmm. Doug and I lived in a tiny little one bedroom apartment with our big German shepherd for a long time for, we lived there for, for, uh, for a long time, about a decade. And that helped ease the stress. In other words, I didn't overextend. He was, he was finishing up his PhD and starting teaching. And I was doing these tiny little movies and I would just have to take jobs that, you know, I logged tapes at the AFI for the hundred greatest this or hundred greatest that movies or yeah. um, that same Kathy Kennedy, after she met me working on a public service announcement, uh, offered me a job producing the horse races for Seabiscuit, right? Which wasn't producing a whole movie, but it was certainly producing a segment of a movie. Kathy to this right. day feels that she is spiritually responsible for putting me and Bonnie together because she raised us both and, mm-hmm. and we both adore her. And, uh, you know, I, I took jobs for different reasons than I would take them today. 
you know, I, I took jobs to learn something and to keep going in my chosen profession while I was trying to get my own movies going. Right. So that I could, I could keep going and I didn't overextend or owe a lot of money or live in a place that was too, too big. Do you know what I mean? I really, because I needed to be able to have the flexibility to say, okay, I'm going to do this movie and take no fee which we're trying to help other producers not have to do now by forming a producer's union, but yes, yes, I'm a part of that. Yeah. So we're really trying to help the younger generation coming up because it's not a sustainable way to live. Yeah. Um, But I, I just try to keep my flexibility so that I would take some jobs for money so that I can continue to do what I love even without getting paid because I've given up producers fee partially or completely on a lot of movies that I've loved. And it was from my perspective, it was the way to give the director what they wanted, you know, but, uh, but it was hard. And um, it can be lonely for sure. Yeah. And so I think you have to make community on each movie. You have to make community with your directors. You have to make community with other producers. and then you know, if you are a very fortunate human being, as I have been at some point in your travels, you will meet the person who is the right chemical match to be your producing partner. And that is a game changer because one of us is always available to step into the breach, right? The start of this interview was a great example. I knew I was going to be three minutes late because that agent called me at at 9.59 and I knew I had to take that call because she's eight hours ahead in London, right? And I was like, I can't talk to you long but I knew Bonnie was here. Right. And I knew you had Bonnie. So, and it it happens in much grander ways. Mm -hmm. And I know there are things that she's way better at than I am, like handling a very diva-esque human. You want us and Bonnie in because her mother trained her to do that. (laughs) And, Uh, and when the legal documents come through to us, she just hits delete. So we, I don't hit delete. I look at it and go, what in the world is this saying? And then I file it and I hope Julie will deal with it. (laughs) And I do. But Caroline, I think the most interesting thing about our partnership is actually there are partners who really divide, like one does one thing and one does the other, or they really like one takes one movie and one takes the other movie. Um, We have a a number of friends who are very successful producing partnerships by doing that. That is not how we roll. We are at our happiest when we are making a movie together and, uh, on Albert and and then things will just naturally occur. Like on Albert Knobs, Bonnie said to me, "So they want to do a, a press conference, and we want to maybe release a photo early. And are you cool if I handle that?" And I was like, "Are you kidding me? Please, please handle that." And she said, "Great, you go back to set where I. You seem to know everybody's name. Just you go do that." Right. And to this day, Bonnie will often be in in at base camp with the second AD, looking at the next day's work, because for her watching take after take for take is like watching paint dry. And she's like, Oh, I'll catch up on dailies, but she's doing the incredibly important work of looking at what's ahead tomorrow that we have to be ready for. Whereas I watching dailies makes me want to slit my wrist and drink my own blood because it's too late to do anything about it. Right. Right. It's too late to get take or the coverage that you didn't. Yeah. 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 But the, but I think one of the secrets to our part, the happiness factor of our partnership is I actually like doing that part like I I yeah. love planning the next week and the next day I mm. don't like I mean you t- I touched on you touched on I'm just reiterating so when Julie's not there unfortunately I have to do half a dozen things that I don't like doing that I don't mm. enjoy that don't bring me right. joy that and and I don't know if they bring Julie joy but however she's wired that's where she wants to be she's where she wants to be or constitute like she's in good that this is where I want to be where I need to be where I find my worth I need to be here and I'm like thank god because that drives me friggin' nuts I'm gonna be over here and you know we are sort of we are sort of whatever our upbringing is what we learned you don't really need to be on set with Steven Spielberg he's kind of got it under control yeah so (laughs) I found my worth with him in being ahead like I got a lot of Atta girls for thinking ahead for him because he didn't have time. He was right. too immersed. So, mm-hmm. and Kathy Kennedy is the person that taught me how to do that. 
Kathy literally took me at her side and, and taught me how to produce for him because every director is different. You, you, I don't think you ever produce the same way twice. Every no, you really don't. And I, I was starting a lot of first-time directors, not all of them, not Rodrigo, but a, a lot of the others, virtually everybody else was yeah. a first-time director. And so they, the best thing to be for them was a bit more of a, a, a presence and a bit more of support while still jockeying and figuring out how to do the day ahead. Right. So it's just, it is interesting. It's also, there's a lot we love doing together and we have fun together. You know, casting is a great example. We both love the casting process with the directors, but what Bonnie said is very clear. And, and Kathy Kennedy is a great example of this is that you, you don't produce a certain way and expect the director to come and cotton to the way you produce. I think there, although there are producers that are probably very successful in doing that, the way that Bonnie and I think about it is you, you look to the, we're director driven producers, right? So you look to the director you have and you think, what is the best way for me to make their best environment for them to do their best work? And then you, you shift based on that. And that's, that's brilliant. I mean, do you find that the younger generation coming up to to the note that um, you said earlier that there's like, it feels like there's two camps. There's this attitude of entitlement a little bit. I don't know if it's a younger generation thing, but you know, the people that are coming into the field and then there are the people that are like, I'm just here. I'm happy to help. How do I help? What do I do? Whatever you need. So there's this question often of like, how do I find my producer? If you're a filmmaker, if you're starting out, how do I find? And I, I always say you, you can't just, it's not just a producer. Like you can't just go and find any producer. It's, it's like a very delicate balance of a marriage between two people energetically. And you have to find your other half, like even if it's temporarily. And even if that means that you don't, you learn in that experience that this wasn't your half, you know, but there's this desperation sometimes I feel to be like, well, I just got to, I just got to find this. And I just got to find that, that people don't take the time to figure out what they really need from the filmmaker side, it seems. So I'm, I'm just curious if you have that impression, I guess, from the younger people coming up that there's this this potentially an entitlement and a frenziness to like to go 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 because the world feels so much faster now with social media and you made a movie and it's like great your movies barely come out they're like what are you doing next like it's just everything moves so quickly that I wonder if it creates this frenzy that doesn't allow the time and the process that is required to develop that within yourself to know what you need as an artist or as a producer who collaborates with an artist if that is part of the, the, the reason, or if that is a byproduct of the environment, I guess, for the people coming in who, who maybe enter it from that other side, who don't see that just yet so clearly? I think people are people. And so I'm yeah. sure there are just as many entitled people, entitled typey people our age coming up. A lot of them, um, yeah, were more of them that were men, I think, than women. Um, mm. And I think some of the difference now is is actually a good difference, which is, and I want to I want to be clear about this because I don't want to be like a the doctor who's like, well, you have to have the internship where you stay up twelve nights in a row because that's what I did. Like, right. I don't necessarily think that everything we had to go through coming up, people should have to go through. I, I do think a producer should be paid a living wage, and I, I don't think the fact that. I maybe did a bunch of movies in a row without getting paid is, is I don't think people should feel like, I, I don't feel that people should have to go through that. Right. And I'm glad that there's more awareness now of the fact that we have big roads, you know, big strides that we still need to make in terms of diversity and things like that. I think, I think these are good things to question and not just have people be, do things the same way they've always done them. Yeah. So I think that issue aside, I do agree with you that it, that I, I think it is both harder and easier now. The way that it's harder is exactly what you said, which is everything under a microscope. It's very hard to make a mistake without it killing you because everybody's in touch with everybody. I, you know, if I had a dime for every mistake I've made, I could finance all our movies, right? <laughs> it, it, I think it's really important if you're a young person coming up, and I say this to our intern Zoe all the time, as I pivot over to her, like, to be in a safe place to make a mistake, right? We've talked about that, right? Like, I think it's good to have mentors and bosses where if you make a mistake, it's a, it's a teaching moment rather than a, rather than, yeah, exactly. Rather uh, than to have you hung out to dry. 
So I think all of that being under a microscope all the time and everybody in being in a rush and everybody in frenzy, I think it does make it harder for people coming up. On the other hand, there are so many other ways to get your movie made and show your movie. When we were starting, you had to have a lot of very expensive equipment that was in not that was in pretty short supply in order to make a movie. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't make a commercially distributed movie on an iPhone because iPhones did not exist. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it was really a metier where you needed to go out and put together a full on movie and get financing it for it to get at that slot to get it done. Whereas I think one of the, one of the beautiful things for people coming up is that if they are talented, if they have access to a great script and somebody who can direct that script right onto the screen, maybe it's one, maybe that's the same person or maybe it's two different people. Um, you can make that movie. Yeah. You can. And if the movie is good, it will be seen. There's no excuse of, oh, I'm an undiscovered genius. No. If you write a great script, somebody will find that script. If you are a great mm-hmm. director, somebody will see your work. There, I think it is, it is hard to lay claim to being an undiscovered genius anymore. Because there's yeah. just many ways. You're not waiting for somebody to hand you that camera in the way that you might have been before. Yeah. So I think the 21st century gives and the 21st century takes away. And I, I do think, and this is another answer to your question about the frenzy is that people who can take a breath and think not about just the option that's right in front of them, but all the tributaries that may spread out before them may make the best decisions in the long run. It's like the ability to to slow down and be present for what's here and, and showing up and doing the best you can in that moment. That's why I think yoga, it's a practice. And for me, it became such a metaphor for my own career and for the longevity that I want to have, right? I don't want to burn out. I think that's all any of us really have. And when I understood that concept, like in my mid-20s, it it was game changer for me because it, it also demystified the industry a bit. And it, it just was like, oh, these are all just like humans, like me who are imperfect, who are trying to figure it out, who don't have the answers, who all have unique paths and unique things that they bring into the work. You know, can I do the best I can today with this? And it really shifted things. And I'd venture to say that having that ability to, to step back, in fact, it helps you because it it starts to attract the kinds of people as well in the business who also vibrate at that frequency. And so you tend to find your tribe a little more quickly because you're plugged into what is important to you. It takes a journey for some people to find out what that is for themselves. The, the young me at age 23, that w- I was just connecting on a human level with right. the with the Spielberg offer. I, I wasn't I didn't have all the experiences I have now that can sometimes make me wake up and be cynical or make me wake up and be, you know, (laughs) judgmental or all these things, you know, I've been watching, reading a lot of articles lately about how we really need to listen to our children because they are functioning in life on an instinctual level. They They don't have all the noise in their head that we as adults have. And it makes so much sense to me. So I am. You, you both have made me think of two quick things in this soup. One is we're not curing cancer. We're, we're making entertainment. So that mindfulness that you're talking about, I also equate with just how unimportant what I'm doing is. And it, and it is, it can give people beautiful ideas and it can change people's lives. It it did for me, there are films that changed my life and Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. If I can bring my authentic self to a work experience that in turn gives someone some sort of powerful personal experience, that would be great. And, and in a way that does give me personally the right uh, mindset to be in when I'm doing something, I'm not, I'm not, trying to you know well I am trying to make people money because we do want to keep doing it but (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm not putting that weight on myself because I'm not I'm not worried if it makes money at the box office I really hope it does I really hope it does but I can't worry about that because I'm just here in this little sandbox trying to make a good movie that's going to entertain somebody like me and then the other thing that 
I really keep thinking about listening to you guys talk is one mistake that I see a lot of young people make is, um, and I think you'll get how this ties to what we're saying, is they really want to get mired in these huge legal negotiations with tons of paperwork before they engage on a project with people, before they engage with a writer, before they engage with a producer, or before they engage with a director or an actor. They're literally throwing roadblocks up in front of themselves before they've even started. And I always say, you know, I've had so many people call me and be like, can you look at this contract for me? Because I have this script and I'm really wanting to do this, but I want to make sure I protect it. And, and I get, and I sure send it to me. And I, nine times out of 10, I call back and say, well, I wouldn't do anything because if these people are going to be disingenuous and, you know, betray you, you don't want to be in business with them anyway. So I, I, you know, it really is akin to sort of finding like-minded people and people that, that, you know, like you were saying that are in the same vibration that you are. I totally, I totally agree with that. I will say that the vast majority of the filmmakers that Bonnie and I work with, we don't share, we don't exchange any paperwork until. And that's from a, a lawyer. Listen to her. Until it's time for principal photography. It's different if you're optioning a book that you then have, you know, yeah, I mean? of course, it's on the shoot. marketplace, but in terms of our writer directors, mm, yeah. no, because the trust is deep. And if, and Bonnie's right. If they're going to screw us, then, then, okay. The trust, the trust hat, the trust has mm. to be deep, you know, even if yeah. it isn't, it actually has to be. So if it isn't, you need to find out and, and, and things go so sour so quickly when you start putting all that paperwork in the way. So I really encourage leap of faith. I'm, I'm a are, big believer are, in leap of faith. Yeah, agreed. And we're right back to that first thing, which is maybe the great place to end it, which is we're back to trust, right? Yeah. So I had the same thought. Learning to, you know, learning who, learning through the experience of walking through a process with somebody who you can trust and 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 hopefully yourself being trustworthy is you will find the people to make a career with and to make a life with. I love that. Yeah, and we we walked through because I do want to just say uh, quickly we walked through an experience with uh, the people at Skydance Media. Julie and I made a movie with them called Life a few years ago, and just like Julie and I walked through the Albert Knobs experience together, and we're like, we should do this again. We will walk through the life experience with the people at Skydance, David Ellison and Dana Goldberg and Don Granger. And we we're like, we should do this again, you know, and it, it, it through that experience, we knew, okay, this works. So yeah. slowing down and letting the experience happen, not throwing up roadblocks, slowing down and letting the experience happen. And then at the end of that, looking at each other and saying, okay, what could this be? Yeah. Instead of all that formalizing and all that you know, frenetic. Let's define it now. Let's define it now. Let's define it now. I promise you, you don't know yet. I didn't know I was gay till I was 25. You don't know. (laughs) Well, I have a quick lightning round of five quick questions I've I've started asking. What is a song that teleports you to a happy place? Top of the World by Karen Carpenter. Last piece of art that moved you, a book, film, show? Oh, Ted Lasso. Agree. Okay, fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. Chocolate. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. My daughter. My daughter and my son. I love that. Okay. And then this is a personal favorite question. Inside the Actor Studio was a show that inspired me a lot coming up. So I like to borrow that question from the famed French journalist Bernard Pivot. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You can eat all the Lucky Charms macaroni and cheese and Dr. Pepper that you want and never gain a pound. <laughs> I love it. Julie, uh, be more poetic than me. <laughs> I see. You're gay? Come in. No, sorry. No. Have you seen my husband? There's no way I could be gay. Um, <laughs> I, I see you and I see that even when you failed, you were trying your best. And it's okay. That's beautiful. I don't like Dr. Pepper, so that's mine. <laughs> I want, well, or I want him to tell me I'm funny. 
Him or her, by the way. Probably her, but you know. I want them to say, Karen Carpenter's right over there and she wants to give you a personal concert. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> this is so amazing. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having us, Carolina. We Thank can't you, wait Carolina. To see what you do next. Let's wait. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm at Carolina Gropa. You can find the show at angleonproducers.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week. Beijos.